talk about uh, over the course of the summer, we've been doing a, our series about uh, our refined vision here at Seoul. And so, if you're a guest today, this is perfect because I'm going to uh, just give you a real synopsis of what our vision is about. It's, our vision is four pronged. And I would have to say that I think we beat it into people's heads all summer, but it's, it's, there's four prongs to it. There is no God, no freedom, know your purpose, and make a difference. That's our vision. That's what soul is all about. And, and so we frame everything we do through those lenses. And I hope you're tracking with me at this. And what this vision really outlines for us is a series of next steps so that we're able to continually move deeper in our relationship with Christ and with others while living the lives that he's created us to live. The Christian life is one of process. That's what we're really all about. None of us have arrived, and, and we're all in the thick of it, and in some respect, we're still trying to figure it out. So let me give you a real brief synopsis of knowing God. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 10 to 14, he says this, he goes, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And he goes on from there. And that word to know, the Greek word is gnosko, not that you care, but it is. It, it doesn't mean to have a head knowledge. When you do the study of it, what we see, it means is that he wants to know Christ intimately and passionately. Uh, so here in the context, to know Christ is to experience an intimate uh, fellowship with him and to live out your life with him. You can't miss it. So Paul wants to know Christ's resurrection. He wants to know that power, not just in an intellectual sense, it's multifaceted, it's even experiential. Now when we talk about experiential in church coming together, sometimes we get a little afraid, well, you know, they kind of do crazy things, they hang, you know, swing from chandeliers. You can't really swing from these ones. Kind of high up there, I wouldn't worry about it. But you cannot say that our faith in Christ is just all head knowledge. There's an experiential aspect to it. And Paul wants to be, he writes on, he continues to write there, he says, I want to be resurrected in a spiritual sense on a daily basis. There's an experiential component to our faith when we live it out. So, you know, how do you reach people when you think about it? How do you reach people who already have absolutely everything in the world, especially in our culture? They have everything. They can buy everything and anything, but you can't buy or manufacture the presence of God and the gifts of the Spirit. You can't. You can't buy that. In Acts chapter 8, there's a guy by the name of Simon who would follow the apostles, and he was offering them money so that he could do what they were doing. They were manifesting the Spirit of God. They were praying over people. People are getting healed. Miracles are happening. Simon wanted that. He thought he could buy it. The fact of the matter is, is that the Holy Spirit is not for sale. We can't buy the gifts of the Spirit. You can't do that. And then when we look at our culture and when the culture sees that something's happening in the church, in the life of the church, in the life of believers, and if we are operating in the gifts that God has given us, they should be blown away. They should be going, wow, there's something that's going on here. There's something that's undeniably supernatural. And so we, we need to have this experience of God. We need to know, as a church, God deeply. We need to know him personally. We need to know him experientially, but how? Well, part of it is through our gathering and our worship time together. It's when we come together in song. It's when we go together in prayer. It's when we have water baptism. It's when we take communion. And it's also when we do life groups. And that's what our, our focus this week is, is, this next few weeks is on community. And we'll get more detailed about life groups next week. The second component is knowing freedom. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, uh, 
He's talking to some Jewish believers who are new to the faith, and he begins to tell them, he says, basically, from right now, you're new in the faith. However, if you continue to, and he says this, hold to my teachings, basically, if you keep obeying them, then you're really one of my disciples, and the truth will set you free. And so it's interesting that Jesus makes a connection between truth and freedom. And Jesus is interested in people understanding the relationship between the two. And, and for he goes on and he explains it's not until we have the truth that we can truly experience freedom. And I broke this down in much more detail. And you can go back on the podcast and you can watch it. Uh, the fact is, is that he's speaking to believers in that context. And that's incredibly important. And he's saying, look, it's not just simply enough to believe in Jesus as Messiah or to make that public declaration of your faith in him. He intends people to become his disciples. And to do this, they gotta hold on to his teachings. And how do you hold on to his teachings? You see it's experiential. You live it out. You obey it. And according to Jesus, there's no such thing as being a minimal follower. You know, it's easy enough for us to be attracted to something, but it's a whole nother thing for us to stick with it and to follow it out. And so how do we do it? We hold on to his teachings. We obey those things. And it's, how do you do that? Well, you got to continually study scripture. And as we study it, and as we understand it, as we ask questions about it, we begin to live it out. We begin to obey. And as a result, within ourselves, we begin to see the truth. And when we do this, the truth begins to set us free. Well, how is that? Because the scriptures take roots in our, in our life. And we can discern between a truth and a lie. And, and there's a connection with being a follower and knowing the truth. And knowing, you know, when we truly follow Jesus, we, we gain understanding. We begin to understand what's right and what's wrong. We begin to understand what's true and what's false. And we discover the truth about our own nature and who we are. And we learn about the nature of God. And then there's this good news is that as we become on this process, we can actually be liberated. We can be free. And it starts by holding on to his teachings. Like I said, we'll go deeper into that next week. So when Jesus sets us free, we can clearly recognize the truth. And we're free to rise above our sin. We're free to live a holy life. We're free to finally choose right. We're free to choose the best. We are free to keep growing. We're free to reach the potential for which God has designed for us. And what's so interesting is, is that when we are enlightened by God's spirit, uh, we begin to recognize that. And, and we need to know that being set free is a process. It doesn't happen all of a sudden, but it's also a heart issue. And we need to have a humble heart. We need to have a heart that's teachable, a heart that's pliable, that the Lord can work in us. And it catches God's attention when we humble our hearts before him. And freedom begins to come. The third one is to know our purpose. The, the, our purpose in life can never be overstated. Like, do you know the reason why you wake up every morning and get your feet out of bed? I would venture to say that most of us here just prefer to stay in bed, but no, we can't. There's something deeper to our daily action. Is there something deeper to your daily action, or are you just existing? When you know your purpose, all of your action is dedicated through that purpose, and you'll end up with the potential potential to make a difference in every area of your life because your actions are motivated by something deeper. Most people struggle with three basic issues in life. First is their identity, like who am I? 
I think we've all asked ourselves those questions. The second one is actually one of importance. Like, do I really matter? The third one is interesting. It's like, what's my purpose? It's impact. What's my purpose? What do I have to contribute? And without a God-given purpose that's to shape our life, we become driven by destructive influences uh, because we're all motivated by something. The three most common motivators of people, maybe there's others, but the three most common is, the number one is that we're driven by guilt and, and fear from the past. How many of us are driven by guilt and fear from the past? You were unable or unwilling to forget uh, what lies behind. We're un, unable to hide our past. And guilt-driven people are manipulated by those memories and they, they, their past comes to the place where it actually controls their future. We are products of our past. We are. But we don't have to be prisoners of it. God's purpose is not limited to our past. His purposes are not neutralized by the mess of life that we have made in the past. This is why Paul insists, again in Philippians, he says, forget what's behind and press on to what's ahead. We have to forget the past and look to the future. God is concerned with your future. He's not concerned about your past. Secondly, many people are driven by anger and resentment. They hold on to hurts, it's, and, and it's incredibly destructive, and I'm pretty sure that we all know some people like this, that if we don't forgive, we will constantly remember, and in that constance of remembering, we will always resent. And resentment-driven people, uh, they either clam up, right? They just keep it all, and they internalize their anger, or they blow up, right? And they shower everybody else with all their fallout. And anger, however it is, it always hurts. And Paul writes with sadness about some of uh, the people who were once his friends in Philippians 3. And if we don't uh, forgive, Jesus warns that God will even not forgive us. It's an interesting little passage of scripture there that you can do some research on and find out where it is. Because forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. It's the purpose of the cross. Not to forgive is to turn our backs on Jesus and what he's done for us. Resentment always hurts, but it hurts you more than the one that you resent. And those who have hurt you in the past cannot continue to hurt you unless you hold on to your pain through your own resentment. And your past is your past. Nothing's going to change it. And I don't speak flippantly about it because some people have had a horrific past, but there's nothing we can do to change that. You're only hurting yourself when you're stuck in bitterness. And we can't change the past, but Jesus has changed the consequences of our past. And that's just a beautiful thing. And thirdly, and this is a, a, another reflection of our culture, people are driven by wealth and materialism. We see it all the time, the desire to acquire. It's, it's just a consuming passion around us. The drive to want more the, comes from this mistaken belief that more will make me more happy. It will make me more important. It will make me more secure. And the very truth is the, is the opposite of that. Possessions only provide a temporary happiness. God's purpose for your life and for my life is far greater than, than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It will last longer than your family. It will last longer than your ministry or even your dreams and your ambitions. To know why you were placed on this planet, you need to begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. 
And in search of the purpose, we typically begin at the wrong starting point, right? We, we start with ourselves. We ask the questions like, well, what do I want to do with my life? What are my goals? Well, what are my ambitions? What are my dreams for the future? Not that they're wrong, but that's not the starting place. Focusing on ourselves will never reveal life's purposes because the Bible says in Job 2, he says, it's God who directs the lives of his creatures. Everybody's life is in his power. So then how do we discover the purposes that you and I were created for? You only have two options. The first one is speculation. And that's what most people do. They conjecture, they guess, they theorize. And fortunately, there's an alternative to speculation and, uh, about the meaning and the purpose of life. And it actually comes down to revelation. We can turn to what God has revealed about life in his word. We can study the scriptures and it's the easiest way to discover the purpose of, uh, of an invention is to ask the creator of it. The same is true for discovering your purpose in life is that we need to ask God. We need to study the scriptures. We need to commune with them and we need to get that direction. And God hasn't left us in the dark to wonder and to guess. He has clearly revealed his purposes for our lives through the scripture. And it explains why we're alive. It explains how life works, what to avoid, what to expect in the future. It explains what no self-help or philosophy book could know. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says God's wisdom goes deep into the interior of his purposes. It's not the latest message, but it's more like the oldest. And what God uh, determined as a way to bring out the best of us, is, and he has it already planned and he wants to do it. And so God is not just the starting point of our life, he's actually the source of it. And so to discover our purpose, we need to turn to God. We need to turn to his word. We need not the world's wisdom, but to God's wisdom. And we build our life on eternal truths. Ephesians chapter one says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us. He had designs on us, for us, for glorious living. Uh, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. First Thessalonians says our purpose really is to please God. Second Corinthians, our goal is to measure up to God's plan for us. What, this is what knowing what your purpose is all about. And then make a difference. Matthew 5, 13 talks about salt. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except for be thrown out and trampled under your feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Salt needs to be salty. Lights are meant to shine, not to be hidden. You and I are difference makers, all for the glory of God. Pastor Jordan Michalski talked about the three ways that you can make a difference in, uh, in, in the ways that you can actually change somebody's life. Ways that you can actually radically alter the path of somebody's existence. Is that not experiential? You know, the first of these three simple steps that he talked about is that we carry uh, Paul instructs the believer in, uh, the Gla in Galatia to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
And so the, the, the Galatian church was struggling with what it meant to live in the, the reality of Jesus being the Messiah. They, they were sort of caught up in, in maintaining and adhering to Jewish customs and law. They were trying to figure out what freedom in Christ really meant. And in a church where they were still drawing lines about what it meant to be an insider and an outsider, Paul's quick to, to let them know that they have power to, to first be inclusive. You need to be inclusive. And second, you may, must make a difference in each other lives. You carry each other's burdens. In 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on, he says, praise God because he's comforted us in our troubles. But why has he comforted us? Scripture goes on to say, so that we may comfort others. We all have troubles. And when we recognize another brother and sister who are hurting in our community, we have a responsibility to stop and to carry. We move into their pain, into their hurt. And that's how we change this world. Why or how? By caring. Secondly, we give. Here at Seoul, we teach that giving consists of three things, time, treasure, and talents. And the giving of our talents is, is one of the ways in which we as individuals and collectively as a community are, are able to make a difference. First Peter 4 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, if you're sort of hung up on this verse, don't, you know, maybe you're sitting there, well, what are my spiritual giftings? What are my purposes? Maybe that's the question you're going through right now. Well, your next step then is to register for our, our growth track sessions. So that we're going to have growth tracks start up in October. You'll hear more about it again. And it's three sessions to discover who we are as a church, who you are in Christ, and how we can partner together to discover what God has in store for you and for us as a community. Important, an important aspect of our faith and in our journey, and we do it together. But each of us have unique talents and each of us have unique abilities which are necessary for the body, the body of Christ, to function. And so to sit up on the sideline and you know, showing up each Sunday but not participating in one way or another really isn't an option. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul instructs the Corinthian church that as followers of Christ, they're one unit. They work together. They have a unique role. Everybody has a unique role to play in the body. Some are an ear, some are an eye. But all roles are important. It doesn't matter who you are. So diversity and ability is important in the body. The body needs those who are strong administrators. You know, able to keep us organized. The body needs financiers. Those who are good at making money and, and budgeting money and those who are really good at, at giving it away. The body needs those who have patience <laughs> to listen to those who are EGR. Do you know what EGR is? We all know some people who are EGR. They're extra grace required, right? Extra grace required, but we need people who have that compassion. The body needs to know those, you know, how to settle a crying child. The body needs those who can preach and those who can teach. The body needs those who can sing and play. And the list goes on. Everybody has a part in the, the function of the body. But we also talk about giving your time. Time is the most valued commodity, isn't it? Because as soon as we're born, the clock starts ticking. Your time, my time, it's all a very limited resource. And if you're anything like me, you don't like people wasting your time. Just, just... Couple pleasantries. You know, I get my wife takes me across the mat on this all the time. You get to the point too quick. Okay, I thought I was getting pleasantries, but yeah, I have to admit, you know, I usually like. Let's just get down to business, please. 
And so time's an investment. And scripture says what you sow, you're going to reap. And it's a simple economic and biblical principle to consider for a moment, where are you investing your time? And finally, there's your treasure. I'm not going to spend much time on this because I crushed this topic on July. I did. July 29th, you can go to the podcast and you can listen to it because I crushed it. I nailed it. But I'll simply say this, that God gives enough for everyone, but he doesn't give it to everyone. And as a follower of Christ, you don't have a right to your money, but God has given you and I the ability to earn so that why? We can in turn give. And God cares about those who struggle and his intent to care for them is through yours and mine generosity. And the money that goes into the joy baskets is about generosity. It is about blessing. It's God's care for somebody else provided by us. And it's proof of love when we give. It's a proof of our love for God and for others. And so we care. We give. And the third way that we make a difference is that we share. We change this world by sharing the good news of Jesus. That's what we have to do so that others will have the opportunity to know God, that they will have the opportunity to know freedom. Sorry, that they'll have an opportunity to know their purpose so that they too can make a difference. And the truth is that found people find people. And if you've been found by the grace of God and if you're a believer and you've experienced what it means to be forgiven of your sin, to find freedom, to find liberation in the risen Christ, then we are by obligation are to go and share the gift that we've received with others that we've known. That's the command of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, go into the world and make disciples. And the truth is, you and I are always going, aren't we? We're always going somewhere. We're going to school. We're going to work. We're going out for lunch. And if we're going, how then are we making disciples? You know, I believe that we here at Soul Sanctuary have the power to change the world. We have the power to change the world when we carry one another's burdens. When you give of yourself, of your time, of your talent, of your treasures, and when you share that life-changing power of Christ with others, then a beautiful thing happens. When we see the kingdom of God at work in a broken world, we see beauty rise where there was only death. We see redemption when there was only hopelessness. When we know God, when we know freedom, when we know our purpose, then we're able to make a difference in the world in which he's placed us that is lasting. That is a Holy Spirit-inspired and difference that is truly changing the world. Amen, Jerry. That was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Please sit down. It is. You know, the church is not just the building. The church is the people. The church is the called out people of God. A holy community made up of redeemed sinners. Right? Good morning, sinners. Redeemed sinners. Oh, good morning, saints. A little bit of both, right? Unfortunately, though, it's possible to go to church without participating in the community of the church. And we all tend to long for authentic community. I think we really do. Because we need it. We long for it. And yet, a culture of authentic community uh, in the church actually can be very hard to foster. You know, there's always this pressure that we have to present our life as ideal Christians. And so what we do is we hide behind our struggles and we slap on some of those plastic smiles. 
And the pressure to have it all together can turn people into actors, perfecting their religious masks. And, and that is the death of authentic Christian community. It truly is. When vulnerability is replaced by a hypocritical masquerade, the church is lost. And the church is to be a bastion of hope for the redeemed sinners, not this elitist ivory tower for the self-righteous. You know, the, the church is made up of self-confessed sinners. I, you know, good morning, sinners. I, I hear it every Sunday morning. Who have been made righteous in Jesus Christ. Good morning, saints. And if any people on the planted, planet, not planted, planet, should have the freedom to be authentic, it needs to be believers. It needs to be the Christians. So how can you help create a culture of authentic community in this church? You're here for a reason. You're here. Maybe you're just like checking it out. Fine. You're here. You have a part to play. How can you help build meaningful relationship with other Christians uh, for the mutual building up of the body? If you have your phone, pull out your notes. I'm going to give you six very simple things, very quick, and then we're done this morning. Our series is on community. Next week, we're talking about life groups, but hear me now. Before we even get to life groups, number one, we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. Rather than, you know, hi, it's pretty wet out there today. You know, ask a few Questions to actually encourage people. Get out of your comfort zone. Be the one who extends the hand to ask the question, how have things been going for you this week? How's your mom who's been fighting cancer? Or what can I be praying uh, for you this upcoming week? Even today, just on my phone, just 2.30 in the morning, getting a text, somebody's mom, uh, father passed away. Another father passed away in another family, just within our community, like just... Do we even know? I saw one of those families as they walked in. I had no clue because I wasn't on Facebook yet. But I had no clue because Facebook tells you about everything. I had no clue. We have to ask the questions. How can I pray for you this upcoming week? Ask questions that actually creates uh, you to dig deeper uh, into the opportunity to encourage and remind one another of the gospel and its in, uh, implications. This is what it's about in community is, is being intentional. And when we're intentional, then people know that we care. Be hospitable. I believe our culture is losing that. We need to find opportunities to invite other people into the rhythms of our life. If you're making a delicious dinner and maybe you got that apple pie, invite somebody else over to enjoy it with you. Go out for coffee. Invite somebody to go out for lunch. If you have to, pull the Mennonite card. Say, hey, let's do Dutch. You know, so that you're not worried about them, you, you having to pay for them, but just be really straight, be open, be honest, be there. And if you want afterwards, then you pick up the, the bill and treat them and bless them and be hospitable. Invite people into the routine of your life. All the while being intentional in your conversations, going deeper together in your relationship with Jesus. We need to be available especially in today's culture. I'm busy. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I throw up in my mouth every time I hear that. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Look, at community cannot be manufactured through planning. Sometimes there may be a friend who needs you to drop what you're doing to go and pray with them. 
I had the opportunity even uh, between gatherings just to stand in the back and just to pray with somebody. Why? Because the conversations are coming, the questions are being asked, and I'm hearing about discomfort and there's issues going on in the body. Well, then we need to pray. We need to be able to drop everything we're doing. There may be a crisis as a death of a family member that, and that person might need your support or somebody may have had a terrible day at work and they just need a friend to talk to or to vent through or you know, maybe a night where they can actually share some sorrows. And if you're going to foster community in the lives, in our lives or the lives of our church, we have to learn, listen, we have to learn to be less busy. We have to learn not to overschedule ourselves, that we don't have time to be available for those who need us. Intentionally, people, leave time open and unscheduled so you can drop what you're doing to be there if you need to for somebody. Be available. Be teachable. Some people think that they have it all together. You ever been in those groups where you start talking to somebody and they've got life figured out? Usually if they're about 18, you know what I'm talking about? And yet, in a genuine gospel community, everybody should take a posture of humility and, and teachability. You know, we, we have a lot to learn from one another. And others may be able to be able to see some of the blind spots that we're missing And if we come across as unteachable and prideful, well, then the community will be non-existent. You ever go to others for advice or for counsel? I'm going to actually address that in in two weeks. I may talk about EGR and and, uh, seeking advice and counsel from other people. But ask others how they would handle a situation that you're facing. And what you'll find is not only are your conversations going to be richer, but God may teach you something through your brother and sister that you never thought possible. Be teachable. That's what community is about. Be forgiving. Welcome to the human race. When we enter into deep, authentic relationships with people, with other believers, you will get hurt sometimes. Welcome to the church. Welcome to the human frailty of an institution. You're going to get hurt by people. It happens. And I don't say that callously. I say that honestly. And oftentimes, you know, somebody's going to say something that deeply wounds us. And and the chances are they'll either say or do something that we have no, they have no clue what they're saying. They have no clue what they're doing. They're totally clueless to what's happening. But you're on the receiving end of that. And when those times happen, and it happens to all of us, you ever been part of that conversation? Hey, we're all going out. Oh, we is not me. I didn't know I wasn't part of this. And all of a sudden, we're all part of that conversation. It's vital that we offer quick forgiveness. When we allow others, people's offenses to fester in our life, the poison of bitterness begins to creep into our hearts and it eats away at our soul. And then hurt people begin to hurt people. And when others hurt you, you have to stop it and we have to be quick to forgive. And if we are in a community that's open and honest, you're going to be able to have those conversations of forgiving, for being forgiven because we are going to be vulnerable. You may be willing to let down your guard. Are you willing to let down your guard? Are you willing to open up to let people in? I think it's scary. I think it's actually risky. I don't say that we should all be an an open book to absolutely everybody. You pick and choose your friends, and it's terrifying. And yet, it's actually essential for us to have a gospel community. 
to be courageous enough to let people see the real you, to share with another brother or sister in Christ maybe a struggle that you're facing in a, in a safe place, being aggressive in, in asking for prayer from a good friend, share the struggles of your heart or encourage another with uh, a, maybe a difficult lesson that God has taught you in the past. When we let down our guard and are vulnerable with one another, authentic community becomes the result. And that's, that's our desire here at Soul. We want you to embrace the vision. We want you to know God. We want you to know freedom. We want you to know your purpose and we want you to make a difference. It's multifaceted and we want you to do it together. And it's all about community. And may these things help you as, as we here in this church seek to foster authentic community in your life and in the life of our church. And may we not settle for anything less authentic, anything less honest and vulnerable uh, uh, in our community. May we be so bold, if I could say this, so bold to find our identity and worth in Christ that the fear of man that so often hinders true community would be put to death. As we throw off our religious masks, may we find the wonderful community of grace which God has gifted us. And it's here. You missed it in the first gathering. To watch people, to watch an entire volleyball team come and to stand around one of their members being baptized. To watch friends, in fact, to watch the youth jump the chairs because it was their turn to watch their friend go in the water. To watch that is a sense of community that the church offers that is so deep and so rich and so life-giving. So next week, We'll be rolling out our plan for our life groups. We want you to be here. It's so important that you understand who we are as a church and the importance of life groups to our community. And so next week, you'll hear that. You'll be a part of it the week after. I got a little something about, I, I want to call the message actually the playing of the God card. You heard that, right? God told me. How many times have you had that conversation with somebody? God told me. That's probably where I'm going in a couple of weeks' time. So next week, life groups, you're going to want to be here about that. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather and the joy of being part of something big and something beautiful. And I thank you for the songs and the way that we've expressed to you how much we love you. And as we dream about your plan for us and uh, as this church, I pray that you'd make it clear and compelling so that we'll be able to see and understand what we're a part of, not just at a surface level, but we want to swim in the deep, God. God, thank you for being with us every step of the way. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for these baptisms that happened earlier today. Thank you for each and every person that's here. And now open our hearts to your voice that we would know you, that we would experience you firsthand. God, open our minds that we would be able to find freedom, that we would know the truth and your truth would set us free. Show us our purpose. Lord, you've created each and every one of us to do good works. You have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And for those who are maybe struggling to figure out what theirs is, I just pray that you would reveal it to them. And God, help us make a difference. Make a difference in our world, the world in which you have placed us in. The people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, the people that we live next to, just help us make some difference that points to you. 
And finally, God, I just pray for Wednesday. I just pray for a sunny day, but I also pray for each and every sponsor and golfer. Lord, there are so many people that are part of this that just don't know you. May this be an opportunity where you are lifted up. In the midst of doing something good, in the midst of changing our world, literally from Brazil to Africa, Indonesia, and Winnipeg, God, where we have marked it for you, where we are extended our tentacles for you, God, may those who come, those who play, those who invest, may they be blessed and may they have an opportunity to hear about who you are. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. If you want a blessing before you go, here it is. Brothers and sisters, as you look to the journey ahead this week, as you leave this place, My prayer is that you would embrace your roots as you step into a sacred history. May you walk with God, but also may you walk with each other. And so sanctuary, may God's peace and presence be with you each and every step this week. May you be blessed as you carry what God has placed on you and may you share it with others as a light that is perched up on the hill. Be blessed and we'll see you next week.